Right. Well, this morning we're going to be continuing in the um, in our looking to the book of Ecclesiastes. What what struck me the most about preparing this message was how relevant it is for today. This was written thousands of years ago, and if you read this section, which we're going to go through in a bit, a little bit of detail, it could almost have been written yesterday, because what it describes is the state of our world, and. Uh, when we look out across our world, when we read our newspaper, we watch the television, um, basically we see exactly what Solomon saw. And um, one of the recurring phrases in the book of Solomon, uh, in, of Ecclesiastes is that he said, and then I saw. And we all see things, don't we? We all, we all see things. Um, we look at the world, we make judgment, value judgments on what we see. So I just want to explain uh, or to delve into that a little, a little bit more detail. So, if you've got your Bibles, please turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If not, it's going to be on the screen. Um, <clears throat> we're going to start reading from verses 16. And we'll, I think we'll, we'll do this in a couple of chunks, just so that we can uh, take our time a little bit. Okay, have you all got your... have you found it? If, you're, if you are? No, no one's looking. <laughs> you're going to look at the screen. Okay. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked. For there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. And as I said, this is a familiar pattern within the book. It starts off with, I saw. And what does he see? He sees wickedness in place of judgment. Do we see that today? Is, is that an accurate description of our world? Do we see wickedness in place of justice and judgment? Now, interestingly enough, um, he then brings uh, a statement to this vision of what he's seeing. So he's making a value judgment, if you like, on what, what, he's, what, he's, look, what he's looking at. And he says to himself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. Now, unlike Solomon, um, he's actually making a right value judgment here. He's, uh, he's not saying, oh, woe is me and vanity and it's all worthless. Uh, he does say that a little bit later on and we'll get to that. But for once, it, he seems to be making a correct assessment of the situation. He's seeing wickedness in place of justice but he's looking at it through the eyes of faith he's looking at uh, the longer term view if you like um, he's looking beyond and above what he's seeing with his natural eye and he makes this wonderful statement which is true which is a truth in the bible God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked um, so so far so good he's seen something he's made a value judgment he's correct in his assumption but as we go on reading the passage, it doesn't seem to bring any comfort to him, which is interesting. So let's go on to the next bit. I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. 
It's nice, isn't it? <laughs> Everything is meaningless. Here we go. He's back to his normal self. Thank you, Solomon. He was. I was just getting a bit worried that he was actually going to show a bit of um, bit of faith, but no, he's gone back to it. All is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward, and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth? So I saw that there was nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work, because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? So, man's wickedness has led Solomon to make a comparison between uh, human beings, mankind if you like. And he's basically saying um, that their fate is no better than the animals. And we all know that, um, you know, if you read the Genesis account of creation, that God made us from dust. So in our bodies, it's not very flattering, is it? You're just a bit, you're just a pile of dust, basically, that's been formed into your wonderful body that you've got. But we are just dust, and our body will return to dust, as Solomon again correctly states. But he says that you're, you're no better than the beasts. Your, your actions, the way that you live, is no better than the beasts. In fact, I would argue that it's actually worse, because I don't think beasts are actually that cruel. <laughs> I don't think I don't think beasts hate. I don't know. I don't think anybody knows, but I don't think they, they do. We do. Humans can, can hate. And um, so we're actually even worse than the beast. But I think the point Solomon's making is that in the end, this human life will finish with our death and our bodies will return to dust. And then he goes on to say that our spirits will rise. And it's a question. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth? Um, there's very few, if any, other passages in the Bible that talk about spirits of animals. And I don't want to go into that, but I'll just mention it because it's there. Um, I don't know if, if our pets will be with us in heaven. I don't think so. But if that upsets you, then <laughs> you could take a different view. But I don't really know. Um, so we'll forget that one. Um, so his conclusion, again, is that if we're no better than the animals, we might as well just enjoy our work um, because we're going to die. Um, and it's very similar to a verse that Paul says when he's talking about the resurrection because it, there he says if there is no resurrection let us eat, eat and drink for tomorrow we die so moving on okay, we've done that but we want a bit more so we're on to uh, verse chapter 4 now. Again I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, that they have no comforter. Powers on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who have already died are happier than the living, who are still alive. But better than both is the one who has never been... <laughs> this is great, isn't it? Do you want to be encouraged on a Sunday morning? <laughs> Who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun? So there's the question. So what should our response be? Well, I think whenever we look at the Christian walk, there's uh, one of the places that we should look for is um, the life of Paul. Paul was probably one of one of the most... Um, I don't know what the word to use there would be, but uh, 
he typifies or exemplifies the walk of the walk of a Christian. And I think Paul's response would have been um, this. I think this would have been Paul's response to what we've just read. <coughs> we live by faith, not by sight. And that's really the key message that I want to bring to you this morning. I want to talk to you a little bit about faith and how we apply faith, what faith is and how we apply it to what we see and experience in our world because it's a key truth for us as Christians to understand what this phrase actually means. It's a huge phrase in, in, the, in the Bible. We live by faith, not by sight. And I think in the four areas that, um, that we've read from Solomon, we need to exercise faith in these four areas. We need, to, we need to understand and believe by faith that the wicked actually will be brought to justice and to judgment. By faith we need to believe and understand that the righteous will be judged and I'll, I'll explain what that actually means to you. Thirdly, that death is not the end. And fourthly, that we can expect to be comforted by the Lord. So, the key question about faith. Are you sure? Are you? What do I mean by that? Well, there's the definition of faith. To have faith is to be sure. Okay? It's to be sure of the things that we hope for to be certain of the things that we cannot see. Or to put it even more simply, faith is believing God. What he says is true and trustworthy and can be relied upon. And as I said, this is the key. If we're to have confidence in God, we need to believe what he says. We need to have faith in God's word and in his character. We need to be sure, in other words, certain of what we see, what we hope for. If I was to say to you, um, how certain are you that tomorrow morning you're going to wake up? Give us a give us a number. Come on. Ninety-nine point nine nine nine. Okay. Any any other takers on that one? One percent. <laughs> oh dear, we better pray for Ian later. Anyone else? Hazard a guess? 50-50 maybe? No? 50-50? Yeah, we're going to... Okay. Okay. If I was to say to you, how sure are you in the resurrection of Christ and the fact that you're in, in him and that when you die, you'll be with him forever? How sure are you there? 100%. Right answer. That's the right answer. And if you're not 100% sure, then you need to go and think about that and you need to... You need to process that. Because God actually wants us to be sure. It's definition of faith. He wants us to be sure. He wants us to be certain. And he wants us to have confidence in him. This is the key message that I want to get to you this morning. I want you to be confident in God's word. I want you to be able to stand on God's word. I want you to have faith in God's word. And I want you to be 100% sure of what God says is true. And that is the only way to live a Christian life. 
And that is the Christian life that God intends. And he's done everything to actually give us that assurance. So let's just quickly apply this test to the four points. Firstly, that the wicked will be judged. I don't know if you've ever been um, on the wrong end of some injustice. I personally don't think I have, but um, there are many, many situations where people have been found or even done sentences unjustly. But we can have faith that God will do the right thing in the end and that we need to leave that to him. And that can be very difficult in your, if you're in a trying situation. I've just put on there verses from Romans. <clears throat> because it's a challenge to our response to when we see things, um, when we see evil in the world. And Romans, this is Paul again, he says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This is the key bit. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room. Leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay. It's very easy for us to respond in the flesh when, we, when we're met with injustice. And it's very easy for us to have a wrong attitude and to take matters into our own hands. But this verse and this whole concept of living by faith means that we just have to leave that with God. And we have to trust that God will sort it out in the end. That he will do the right thing. Secondly, the righteous will be judged. This is, um, this is something that you may not have come across or thought about or even understand what it actually means. But um, the context of the righteous being judged is not a negative. It's a positive. Um, and if you read the New Testament, the word reward comes up quite often. Okay? And 1 Corinthians 3 I won't read it all now, but there's a paraphrase there if you like. It's about it's about um, the works that we do, faith works if you like, works done as a Christian by faith. And in those verses, you can read them later. It talks about them being tested, being weighed if you like by God to see what the motive was behind them, what the character was, um, how the, why they were done. Um, there's another verse that says, it is impossible to please God. Is that true or false? It's impossible to please God. But it's half, it's a half truth, isn't it? That's only half the verse. So what does he go on to say? God, you're good. I'm impressed with you this morning. It is impossible to please God without faith. So what does that mean? That means that you can please God by faith. So if you please God, why wouldn't he give you a reward? Why do we think that it's below us um, as a motive for our good works that there's a reward for us waiting in heaven? God knows us better than we know ourselves. Let's be honest. We need, we need incentive. It's as if salvation isn't enough, which it should be. But God incentivizes us even more and says, I'm going to reward you for your good work, for your faith works. But they've got to be faith works. They've got to be works done by faith. So that's the key, the key point there, about that the righteous will be judged. And remember what we said earlier, that our bodies, although they return to dust, this is the amazing thing, 
what's done in our bodies has eternal significance. And that should motivate you to live a life of faith, to live a life pleasing to God. And that's a scary thing, to know that what's done in your body in 70, 80, 90 years has eternal consequences. So that's something to think about, isn't it? These verses talk about building with gold, silver and precious stones. And what that really talks about is, is giving our best. They're, they're the best materials, aren't they? So God is saying, do your best. Build the best. Don't just use things that, that will make do, like wood, hay and straw. That's what that means. So the third thing that we need to exercise faith um, is that death is not the end. Now Solomon says that we're all going to die, we're going to go back to dust. But he says something there interesting, he says our spirits will go back to God. When we were created, God breathed his spirit into us. We are immortal in that sense, in terms of our spiritual life. Our spirits will continue forever. But our, our bodies will die, as Solomon reminds us. But we have a hope, don't we? We have a hope. And that hope is the resurrection. And if we don't have a hope, then Solomon's conclusion is correct. We might as well just enjoy life, eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. But that's, that's not our response. That's not our response to, de to death. That's not our response to our life in this body. Our response is to have faith that we will be raised with Christ. The 100% confidence in God's word that he says if you believe. If you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That is the basis of our, of our hope and our faith. And the last part of Solomon's um, discourse was about um, those that are oppressed. Um, and he said that there's a, they're not being comforted and that the power is in the oppressor. And I love this verse. This is 2 Corinthians 1. 3 to 4, and I'll read it out. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves received by, comforted by God. Again, we need to exercise faith here. This is God's word. Is it true? That was a question. <laughs> is it true? We can expect to be comforted by the Lord because that's his promise. He is actually called the God of all comfort in these verses. And I'm sure many of you have experienced the comfort of God. And you can be sure that in future, when you need comfort, then it will be there for you. And again, that's living by faith. The faith that we have, we look to the future of in the rest of our lives, not just to eternity, but we, we can have faith in God for tomorrow, for the next day, for next week. We don't know what's going to happen next week in our lives. God does. He knows the hairs on your head. We can have confidence in God that he will bring and provide comfort to us in a time of need. And again, there's a responsibility there for us to comfort others. 
with the comfort that we have received. That's a, that's a bit of body ministry going on there in the body of the church. So if you see someone that needs comforting, what should you do? Comfort them. Yeah, bring them God's truth as well. Help them to see with faith. Help them to, help them to exercise faith. Help them to have confidence in God and his word. So there, we live by faith, not by sight. And these four areas that we've just gone through, we need to exercise faith in these four areas. Um, oops, sorry, too far. So the question really for you this morning is, are you living by faith? Or are, by, or are you living by sight? The problem with Solomon, he was living by sight, not by faith. Paul says, I, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And for me, this is one of the keys, key verses in the whole Bible. Do we know what it's like? It says, the life I now live in the body, my life, that means everything. That means every aspect of my life. I live by faith. I live by trusting God. I live by believing God's word. My whole life, everything that I'm involved in, everything that I do, everything that I think, everything that I even feel, everything that I dream is lived in faith, by faith. In other words, believing that God, believing in God, believing what God says about me, what he says about the world, what he says about judgment, what he says about my destiny, that he says that I'm loved, that I'm cherished, that I'm the apple of his eye. If you don't believe any of these things, they're worthless. We are called believers. We're not called understanders. Okay? We are called believers. Okay? We need to believe. And we can do that because God is God. We can have absolute 100% confidence in God because of who he is because what he says because of his nature that's my challenge and my encouragement for you this morning trust God believe God take God at his word because he is faithful thank you amen